Hello and welcome to another episode of the Caption Life Podcast, a podcast about how comics and pop culture impact life and society, and vice versa. Coming to you from deep in the heart of Texas, I'm Kevin. And from Indiana, I am Sean. Before we get started with this episode, please hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on, and follow us on social media under the username at Caption Life on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Reddit, you name it, we're probably on it. And you can also find out more information about us and past episodes at thecapsonlife.com. All right. Hey, Sean, I know you hate when I do this, but I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question. What is the one rule, Kevin? <laughs> No, here's the deal. I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question, okay? Okay. Uh, we're going to come back to it at the end if if you think of an answer. But if we were to bury a time capsule for the year 2022 for people to find in 50 years from now, what mm-hmm. would you want to put in it? Okay, that's the question. Okay. Because of all the things that we have going on from, to, from day to day in our world, um, and, and something like this, because I remember doing this as a kid at an elementary school, but what would you want to include that is a, a snapshot of this time and place? Maybe it's a download of this podcast. Who knows? <laughs> uh, and it's a goal for us on this podcast to be current and to look at how our society is reflected in the fiction that we consume and vice versa. And today we're lucky to have a guest joining us that does a really good job of all those things in the in the projects that he creates, so we're we're thankful to to, uh, to welcome Alan Brooks, who is a comics creator who also also teaches writing at Regis University's Master of Fine Arts program in the Lighthouse Writers Workshop. His award-winning weekly comic in the Colorado Sun, What Did I Miss, has been praised for its direct engagement on social issues. And this guy's TED Talk on the importance of art reached one million views in two months. Alan has previously written the graphic novels The Burning Metronome and Anguish Garden. And he's here today to talk with us about his latest work, Grieving Mall. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thanks, Alan. So whenever we have a guest on the show that is involved with comics, we always like to ask them the same question, which is, what is your comic book origin story? How did you get into comics? What or who inspired you to get into that? And what has led you to being in the field that you're in now? Yeah, I love that question. All right. So my dad uh, is a journalist. He uh, grew up in the 50s and he was in the comic books. And he especially liked uh, Nick Fury's Howling Commandos because at that time, that was the only place that he could find a black character in any comic books. Mm. Uh, One of the Howling Commandos was a black character. Gabe Jones played jazz, I think. Anyway, so when I was five years old, my dad was like, uh, he wanted to encourage a love of reading. And so Mm -hmm. he actually bought me my first comics. uh, And it would have been... Carmine Infantino drawing The Flash uh, in the early 80s. Flash was on trial for murdering the reverse Flash. And mm-hmm. those, those were the first comics I read. And so I was, uh, I was into comics that whole time, basically my whole life, but I didn't know anyone else who liked comics until maybe, maybe 10 years old. I met a dude who went to another school who liked comics. And within a year of that, my mother was looking in the paper and she was like, hey, there's this thing called a comic convention. Do you think you would like to go to that? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is back in the 80s, so she could drop me off. You know, this is when you drop off a 10-year-old. At a- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, so uh, she dropped off me and my friend, and um, we were the only children and the only Black people. But it was the first time we were around anyone else who liked comics. So mm-hmm. it was like 
it was like the first time I felt a part of any group period. And it was, it was wonderful. And so, you know, that's been a part of my life for the whole time. I've always been reading comics, but, it, and when I was young, I thought I was going to draw them, but then I got involved in hip hop and girls liked hip hop better. So I got waylaid. <laughs> uh, but so uh, only a few years ago, did I decide I would write comics and um, I wrote, I put out the Bernie Metronome in 2017. I did like a Kickstarter and I, I was working. I mean, I talked about it in my Ted talk, but I was working this square job, like uh, selling insurance, wearing suits. It was terrible. And I quit that and I tried to write a graphic novel and it sort of led to all of these things. So that's, yeah, that's the answer to that question. <laughs> so, from everything that we've read about you, from listening to your TED talk, uh, you seem like a really creative guy. Why the why the graphic novel medium? Mm. This something so. Uh, I mean, obvi- obviously, it's been a big part of my life. I mean, I've always loved comics. The only time I didn't read comics regularly was in the nineties, and uh, I think that was just kind of the well, it was the quality of a lot of the comics at the time. I thought I outgrown them, but I find with comics. There's, it's one of the few, maybe the only visual medium where one or two people can tell an intimate story. You know, like with movies, there's, you know, it has to be a crew of people with mm-hmm. uh, animation, the same. So with comics, you can get these very intimate individual stories. You get these slices of life. And the way that you interact with the comics as a reader is uh, you control the pacing. Now, there's certain things that creators can do to encourage you to read faster or slower. But ultimately, comic books are a collaboration between the reader and the creator because you have to be engaged. You're not like sitting back passively while it's happening. Um, yeah, so I love that. And also, I love that reading reading a comic is such a private thing. Like, it's hard to sit with someone else and read a comic book. Right. So can't can't read it out loud. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you're like uh, totally immersed in a way that you aren't with film, television or animation. Even it's like just an individual experience. And I think the only comics has it to that degree. So how has what you've accomplished and, and learned from the business impacted you as a writing teacher? Mm. There's a guy, Melvin Van Peebles. He passed away a couple months ago. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. But I, I know Melvin Van Peebles. Oh, where? Okay. Fa- famous uh, film director from the 70s. Mario Van Peebles' dad. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that dude's a hero to me uh, because of his determination, you know, like uh, to make things and to have his art out there. Um, and one of the, one of the, I guess, getting to the answer to your question, he, he wanted to make film. He wasn't getting traction here. He heard a rumor that uh, if he published novels in France, he would get like city support to make um, to make a film. So he moved to France. He didn't know French. He learned French, started writing novels, and then started making movies. And those movies are what got him doing stuff here. Mm-hmm. And there's an interview with him in uh, when he's in France and. It's with subtitles. He's speaking French. This is from the '60s, and they ask him, "If you're an American, why why are you publishing novels here? Why aren't you trying to publish more novels in the American market?" And his answer was that 
American publishers were only interested in the suffering of the Negro. Um, basically that as a black creator, he was not able to write about the full human condition. Like mm-hmm. the only thing that they wanted to write about was the suffering. Now me, 60 plus years later, um, I have a literary agent who is pushing my stuff to uh, publishers and he is running up against the same things. You know, like he said, like, it's surprising to me, but, and he said it was embarrassing to him basically, but he's finding that publishers are more interested. Like if I were writing a story about uh, how mean white people were to me, or if I were writing about suffering police brutality directly, that those are the stories they're ready to publish. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you do write about social issues, but you do it through sci-fi and fantasy and you use comic books. And it seems to be hard for them to understand. So the long, (laughs) the answer to that question is (laughs) that uh, what I've really learned is if I'm waiting for somebody to decide that I'm a writer, then I would still be selling insurance. You know, like if you want to do it, there's no better time than not to do it. Like we have, the technology that makes it possible. Mm. You know, there was a, a comic called brother man in the nineties. It was a, like a black superhero. Mm-hmm. And I used to have to go to like black hair places to buy it and stuff like that. But back then in the nineties, if you wanted to put out a comic, I read an article, they said that they had the minimum order was 10,000 comics. Right. Mm. And so even if you got it down to a dollar each, you had to have $10,000 to make them. Now you have the internet, now you got like advances in printing where you can do small runs, like two, 300. Like what is the reason to not do something? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like just like what you said, everything right now is just more accessible. gives people more opportunities and options to be able to chase that dream. Like, you know, uh, what you were saying with comics, we had a couple of people on this show who have been chasing after the dream of writing a comic by using webcomics.com. And I think they said that, you know, it doesn't cost them hardly anything to put something out there, you know? Right. And, and I think you're right. It's just, you know, this is a great time to be able to chase after those dreams. So yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. It's, it's a lot like the, if you really want to, like, if you really want to find an audience, if you really want to share what you have, the the notion, like the field of dreams, if you build it, they will come. Technology has made it easier to build it. Right. Mm-hmm. And and you will you don't have to you don't have to invest into building a baseball diamond in your Iowa farm field <laughs> in order to to get people to, to show up. And I think that's what's great about this medium is that that you can you can put it out there and you can you can you can um, you know you can promote it for free on social media and things like that uh, and you can you can do something that you're proud of and 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 you can have ownership of it. That's one of the things that that we love about doing this podcast is because it's a creative outlet for us. It's something that it's something that we love. And we're here in year three, you know, still still doing it for us more than anything, but still looking to reach an audience and and share the story with people. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. So when I'm talking to students, I'm like, listen, you know, there's some there are tools to writing a good story. Mm -hmm. You know, there are things that you should know about the form of comics. Um, But most important is make something. Mm -hmm. Even if you made something bad, you've made something. 
like, you know, I've spent my life in comic shops with uh, people who have an idea, you know, of a comic mm -hmm. they're going to make. But until you make something, you're just a person with an idea. You can't copyright an idea, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, Grieving Mall was your, is your last project. And uh, you shared that project with, um, can you, can you say her name? I don't want to make sure I say it right. Oh, it's Sarah Menzel Trapple. Trapple. Okay. It was yeah, the Trapple. It rhymes thing. with Apple. Okay. That's how she um, had to tell me. She got married recently. And I was like, how do you say it? Trapple. And so I read about a little bit about how you guys met, but can you tell us about the, uh, the story and your creative partnership with the comic? Yeah. Okay. So uh, me and Sarah were tabling with each, like near each other at a convention. And um, I really dug her art and especially her use of color. And so um, it was right after I put out my first book and she gave me some of her art and I had it up on my wall and a couple years went by and I was like, I'm going to work for her someday. You know, because, <laughs> you know, tricky thing with comics, especially as a writer who's hiring artists to work on things is either either we have to collaborate or I have to hire them. And you know, comics are a lot of work to draw. Like it's, you know, eight to 12 hours to draw a single page. Right. Mm -hmm. So when comics artists charge whatever they charge, generally they de they deserve it. I just can't always afford it, you know. Right. Uh, so with the, the Sarah, I. I hire her to draw, um, oh, to color Anguish Garden. And um, based on how good our experience was for that graphic novel, like Sarah's like dope. Like a lot of artists, you'd be like, hey, um, what day can you have to buy? Let's agree on this date. And then, you know, you might never hear from him again. You know, mm -hmm. uh, Sarah's like, I've already written a schedule for uh, the days that I had. Like she comes with this schedule, like of deadlines herself, which I love, right? So I was like, okay, well, listen, Sarah, we got to do something else together. Um, and so basically I asked like what kind of things she likes, because this one was going to be a partnership. It wasn't going to be my, me hiring her. And as a writer, it's basically like, if I can figure out what the artist wants to draw, whether it's underwater unicorns or space frogs or whatever they want to draw, um, then I can find the human conflict within that. And so, you know, like Sarah gave me some, uh, animated she liked and um you know like some manga and a couple movies she tends to like stories that that have a, like don't resolve they have like a, a, a big mystery at the end mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i hate those stories <laughs> like <laughs> like i really want things to resolve you know and it doesn't have to resolve neatly but i hate like watching something and being like what did i watch this for you know like nothing <laughs> happened you know and so uh Basically, I had to process all the things she liked and then try to find a happy medium between the things we both enjoyed. Um, and so I pitched this idea and uh, for Grieving Mall, and Sarah liked it. And then we kind of developed it a little more. And then she asked if the main character could be plus size, um, which had no bearing on the story. And I thought it was a great idea. And Sarah's plus size. And so she, uh, she designed the look of the character and one of the interesting things she said in drawing this story, and it's just like a one-shot story, like a standalone. She said that um, drawing this character who was plus size healed her of some of her own body image issues. Um, because I guess she's had to draw all these idealized, you know, comic book characters. And um, yeah, and that was something that neither of us expected, but it was really wonderful to hear. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Yeah. Oh, so that kind of goes into our next question for you a little bit is that uh, we noticed that your comics often tackle important and timely subjects. So Anguish Garden challenges white supremacy through a sci-fi Western tale. Uh, Grieving Mall that we've been talking about is about loss and grief. And it's important to note, just as what you said, that in, in this comic, that the main character is a plus-size woman. And so you, have you always have heavy themes swirling through your society and work? Like, Do you go into a book planning to call attention to something like that for your reader? Or do you kind of let the story unfold and, you know, if it includes it, great. If not, you know, it's more about the story or, or is it like a combination of the two? Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a balance, right? Like I'm definitely mm-hmm. a child of Rod Serling in many ways, Twilight Zone. <laughs> um, even to the point of uh, pointing out that I was born a month and a half after he died in the same city that he died in. So oh, like wow. The, yeah, I like the joke that <laughs> that I'm yeah. re- reincarnated. <laughs> but uh it's important to me to create art that that has some meaning, that has some that makes people think about their lives. Mm-hmm. Um but it's equally important to me to, to create art that is engaging and entertaining. Because if it's not entertaining, then I might as well just be writing a manifesto, right? So like I want to write a cool story that's fun. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the, the undercurrent ends up being like the soul of it. Um, I tell the story a lot, but, you know, I, when I started researching Rod Sterling, I saw that he was not a fan of sci-fi or fantasy. He mm-hmm. just wanted to write about social issues. And he did it for maybe 12 years and he would get censored constantly. And then just had this idea, if I put it in fantasy and sci-fi, I won't get censored. Mm-hmm. So that's why the Twilight Zone exists the messages were the most important thing to him. And I, I think that there's something just powerful about that. Like when I watch a definitely original series, Star Trek, but almost any Star Trek, most of it makes me think about my life in an engaging way. Like, you know, it challenges my perceptions about things. Mm-hmm. And I love the ability of art to be able to do that. So I try to create art that does that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I think there's a, there's a line that, I don't know, there's, there's several writers out there that are pro- very prolific that have written book after book after book after book. And, and you wonder, do you, do you, the, the intention behind all of it, are you in it to, to write something that speaks to people or are you interested, or are you only interested in, in, you know, them saying how good it is, like what yeah. they say back to you. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's that's one of the reasons that we took the, the a kind of different approach to this podcast is that we wanted to talk about some of these issues, you know, as they pertain to comics and how how the life we live is now being better reflected in uh, in the medium because um, just like every other aspect of of American life, you know, over the course of the last one hundred years, comics were very exclusionary. Yeah, there's a list for everything. You know, Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in 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 baseball, and you know, uh, Sidney Poitier was the first you know black man to win an Oscar, and you know, uh, uh, Black Panther is the you know the first big time black superhero, um, and the reason the reason we have um, the reason we have to address that is because it was was so exclusionary for a long time, right? And so. 
you know, we, we want to keep pushing. We want, we want to see, and we want to talk to people like you who are, who are putting stories out there that do more than entertain. They make you think, they make you take a look at, at yourself and your, your experience and say, I can see a piece of me in, in that. Mm. Um, and I think that the best kind of stories, um, the best kind of stories do that no matter, um, who the, who the main character is, you know, race, nationality, um, religion and, and so on. So kudos to you for, for taking a, <laughs> an, in, an, an indirect way of tackling it. And I, and I, it, it, I didn't think about the, uh, the parallels to, um, the, the twilight zone until you, you brought it up, but it is a very good way to look at it. I know. It's a very good comparison. <laughs> um, so your, your next book, uh, we got a little preview of it. It's, uh, it's a, it's about a, it's a kind of a crime noir and, and don't let me, I want to make sure I get this right. You wrote and drew that. That's right. Yes. And that one's called, um, a Baker's duckling. Yes. Can you, can you give us a little <laughs> tease of, of Baker's duckling What what that is like? Yeah. Uh, so there's this, uh, publisher in New York called Akashic and they put out a noir anthologies, like detective anthologies mm-hmm. uh, and they do it by city. Like it'd be like, you know, New Orleans noir, LA noir, and they'll get uh, writers from that city and they'll all write detective stories that happen in that different neighborhoods in that city. So they're finally doing Denver noir. It comes out this May. And uh, I am the only comic book person who's in it. So it's all prose. And then they asked me to be in it. Um, And so I picked the neighborhood that's called Baker, which is why the story is called Baker's Duckling. Okay. Uh, you know, kind of bad play on words for Baker's does. And, you know, I was doing what I could, but <laughs> I, uh, oh, we're big fans of puns and, and <laughs> wordplay here. All right on. <laughs> well, so I did a, uh, I had a short deadline. Typically the only time I draw stories when I am not sure that I can get an artist who will hit the deadline. Mm-hmm. So when it's a big opportunity, something like this, like this one will be like in targets and, you know, like nationally oh, cool. distributed. Yeah. It's already on like Amazon and Barnes and Noble's website, but it doesn't come out till May. So I drew that one and uh, that was something, but it's a black hipster in uh, the Baker district of Denver who has to solve a crime Mm -hmm. and is set at my comic shop, which is mutiny information cafe. And uh, I wanted to do that to honor my relationship with them. They've always been very supportive, but when I had to draw it, I was like, why did I pick this place? There's so much stuff in the background. (laughs) (laughs) It took so long. But uh, but I, I was able to draw and write the owners into the story and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, that book will be out in May. It, like I said, it's, mine is the only comic story in it. And um, it, uh, yeah, it's like a 18-page story, I think. That's how I know that it takes comics artists a long time to finish pages because <laughs> right. I had to draw those pages. But, uh, yeah, I was happy with how it came out. Is uh because it's because it's different from some of the other things that you've done. Is there a particular like noir or sci-fi? Is there a particular type of story that you like to write more than others, or or do you just um, do you just let it go organically? Uh, yeah, I think as long as it means something to me, I'll try any genre. Mm-hmm. So. Um, like, I just have to find what feels legitimate to me. So if somebody's like, uh, hey, uh, can you write a romance novel? Then mm-hmm. I would have to figure out what would interest me about a romance novel. You know, because mm-hmm. if it doesn't interest me, I'm not going to do it. But once I figure it out, 
then I'm in there, you know, because I had never written a detective story before. Um, but I, I've learned to say yes to everything. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Robert Kirkman story, which you guys might have heard when he was selling Walking Dead. You know, horror comics hadn't done well in decades. And so he's in Eric Stevenson's office at Image and he's like, um, you know, pitching a book. And Eric is like, hey, you know, the zombie thing is cool, but, you know, they haven't really sold well in years. So I, I don't know. Kirkman's like, well, I haven't told you to hook. Uh, the zombies are an advanced team for an invading alien race. And Eric Stevens is like, oh, okay, let's try that. So then they're making a the book. The book does well. You know, they're like six months in and Eric Stevenson comes to Kirk and he's like, hey, uh, you know, I'm glad the book's doing well, but I don't really see anything about the alien stuff. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk was like, I just made that up. So you so you publish it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so I think um, this idea of like saying yes to everything, embracing everything, because everybody who's a publisher or whatever, they're all just making their best guess, right? Like mm-hmm. nobody knows for sure. Like how many people turned on the Beatles? I've heard legends of that, right? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. So like, I just think I'm not going to say no to any genre, especially if I have an artist who wants to do something in that genre. I just want to create cool things. No, I, I think it's, I think it's great. I think that there's a, a number of different ways you can tell probably any story in any setting um, because it's the, like at the heart of the story has got to be the conflict that, um, that drives it. Like, I think like I, I've, I've written outlines for things that I'd love to like have the time to like flush out the full details. And one of them, one of them is a noir crime thing that started as like a Batman fan fiction. Nice. Um, but then I, I ended up having to like change it. Cause like, I'm like, I'm going to write this one day and there's no way they're going to just like, let me write Batman <laughs> straight off so batman became you know a you know a a police officer like you know um and then i was like well you know in my brain i envisioned it as like a batman the animated series like um vibe right and and truth be told it works better that way because they're like the technology like he's not gonna have a cell phone or like um, stuff you know some of that stuff is plot device like if it's a mystery mysteries in the 21st century are a lot different because there's cameras everywhere and right. you know that whodunit is is harder to to capture so right. yeah i think it's i think it's super important to figure out what what story you want to tell and then let the let the i guess the setting and and everything like evolve around what's really at the heart of the book mm-hmm. yeah yeah i agree with that and uh for the art for that story i was looking at a lot of alex toff uh art so, you know, he does, he designed Space Ghost and uh, mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of dope stuff, but he did, he did a whole bunch of like inky noir comics that I found. And I was like, yeah, this, this is what I need to figure out how to do. Cause you know, <laughs> I can't be drawing like superhero poses in like a, a noir story. Right? So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Or could you? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, Alan, before we before we let you go, we always like to play a game with our guests, and this one, uh, this episode is going to be no different. I have a game that I want to play with you and Sean, and because uh, the time capsule um, in the Grieving Mall plays a, an important role in, in the in that story, we are going to play a game called Name That Time. I'm going to give you a list of clues found or items found in a time capsule buried at a certain year. And I'm going to give each of you guys a guess, a chance to guess what year that time capsule was buried. 
If you guess it on the first clue, you get five points, and the point values go down after that. So, like, if you if you get three clues, you get two points, so on and so forth. It should mm-hmm. be should be pretty self explanatory. Right. Do we have to be like correct on the specific year? You have to be correct on the specific year, and I okay. will explain it like this: uh, if I put a, if I put a, a clue up and nobody has a guess. Then I'll go ahead and move to the next clue. If you guess and you're wrong, you have to wait until the other person gets a guess before you guess again. Right. Oh. Okay. That makes sense. So here we go. Here's name that time. First year. Please, please me. The first Beatles album would be the first item in the time capsule would be the first Beatles album. Please, so please me. Say guesses. If you got a guess, you can throw it out now for five points. 1962. That is incorrect. (laughs) (laughs) All right, John, you want to guess? Uh, I will take the next clue, actually. Okay, here we go. A U.S. ticket stub for Dr. No, the first James Bond movie. Oh. 19... I'm going to go with 1964, actually. That is incorrect. (sighs) Okay. Issue number one of the X-Men. 1963. That is 1963. Way to go, Alan. Alan's on the board with two I points. I was close on my nice. first guess. Yeah, so yeah. my uh, my fourth clue was a picture of Martin Luther King Jr. delivering his I Have a Dream speech uh, at the March on Washington. And then the last clue would have been oh, wow. the Sapruder film from the JFK assassination. That was 1963. Mm-hmm. So Alan is on the board there with two points. <laughs> at least we're like within a couple yeah, of years. Yeah, you guys are right, right? around it. <laughs> it's a strong showing on the first clue. Yeah. Okay, uh, next year. Uh, let, let me clarify something, Kevin. So, like, in that instance, Alan guessed, and then I guess, and we both got it wrong. Does it go back to Alan, or is it free game after that? You know what? It could be free game after that. Okay. After, oh. both of you have, after you both have a guess, it's free game. Gotcha. Okay. okay, that's good. All right. So, first clue of the next year, a copy of Alex Walker's The Color Purple. Hmm. I would say next clue. Next yeah. clue. Yep. A ticket to the first 49ers Super Bowl oh. victory. Sports. <laughs> I remember cr- crickets there, huh, Alan? Yes, 100%. <laughs> There's not too much sports in here, I promise. Yeah. I, I remember hearing about this, but I can't, I, I can't point a year well, on it. I remember hearing of the 49ers. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Clue number three. The playbill from the opening of Cats on Broadway. Uh, you know, I, I'm just going ahead and, and take a guess. I'm going to say 1971. That is incorrect, Sean. Okay. I'm going to guess 1982. That is correct. Oh, Alan. man. <laughs> a ticket stub to E.T. would have been next to oh, Thriller, the Michael go. Jackson oh, album. Yeah. Oh, it, well, that was on there. That's after I didn't the film delete JFK's assassination. <laughs> I didn't delete that off there. <laughs> yeah, Katz told me it was probably the eighties. So, so See, Alan I, is I, up to four points now. Yeah, I couldn't remember when the cat. I, I felt like the Forty ers was seventies for some reason, but I couldn't remember when Catch came out. All right, here we go. Uh, year number three, first clue: uh, a newspaper headline outlining Hong Kong's return to Chinese rule. I'd have been impressed if either of you got it on that one. Here we go. Brett Favre's Super Bowl MVP sports. trophy. <laughs> uh, like sports. It's the guy from There's Something About Mary, right? 
Yeah, Fred Favre. <laughs> okay. Right. It's probably yeah. about the same time as that movie, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, no, that's what I was thinking. Mm. It's, well, that helps. I don't know. See, I, I remember these things. I just don't remember the year associated with them. That's I'll give the, you another one. That's the problem. Yeah. Here we go. Clue number three. There you go. J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter uh, and the Philosopher's Stone. Uh, I will say 19... 1996. That is incorrect. Oh, dang it. I was going to guess 1998. That is also incorrect. Mm. A ticket stub to Titanic. Oh, 1999. That is incorrect. Oh, wait, no, um, crap. Sorry. 1997? <laughs> it is 1997. No, yeah. Uh, a copy of Elton John's Candle in the Wind dedicated to yeah. the passing of Princess Diana was the last one. So uh, Alan is actually has eight points now. He got three for the first two, and then he got two for this one. So he's up to eight points. I'm not very good yeah. at math. So here we go. Clue, uh, f- this is the fourth fourth round. There are five rounds total. Sean, you can you can win still if you get it right on the first clue. Yeah, that's each and, time. And this is not probably not going to happen. <laughs> okay, well, let's see. Uh, the first Sony VCR, which you can watch Titanic 2 on, apparently. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I have to take a stab at the dark. And you got to guess. And, uh, 19... I'm going to say 1983. That is incorrect. All right. All right. Secondly, an A-track featuring Marvin Gaye's uh, Let's Get It On. 1968. That is also incorrect. Mm. A video of the first episode of Saturday Night Live. That should say 1975. Live. That is correct. It is 1975. Dang it. A newspaper headline is depicting the fall of Saigon at the end of the Vietnam War and a ticket sub stub to see Jaws. I really have got to prove these <laughs> better. Seize the, just see yeah. Jaws. Uh, listen, oh, so man. I, I cheated. I mean, uh, I, was, I was born the same year Saturday Night Live came out, so that one worked for me. So thanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was born in 1982. I thought about putting my birth certificate uh, on in that clue, but... Now, now here's uh, the thing that's, that's kind of incorrect, though, is, Kevin, is that you? this clue says a video of the first episode of Saturday Night Live. Yeah. So you're saying a video wouldn't exist of that? It depends on what is being meant here by video because they probably didn't have video in this sense of like what video meant like on video cassette. It was probably still Well they, they invented the first VCR that year, that's why doesn't yeah. mean that yeah, but doesn't mean that television, you know, was creating them on on videos. I'm sorry, Sean. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, you're could, right. You're I mean, right. It I mean, it's, be, a, it's a valid. It's a valid complaint. I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Not, not complaint. Just a. Just a. You know, technicality. Yeah. Uh, do, can I? Can are we going to say that I've made history here as the second person? Is that? Yeah. You have. You have locked up victory. Let's see if yeah, Sean yeah. can <laughs> at least. Uh, Unless we make this a bonus round, and this can be like. <laughs> oh yeah. These points times. are tripled. Yeah. Points are tripled in this final round. Okay. All right, final round. Points are tripled. Whoa, my gosh. The, all all the, the clues are on there at once. I didn't animate it. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> just go ahead and throw, throw all of them up there. Okay. <laughs> That's yeah. fine. An iPhone 3GS with low by Flowrider downloaded from the iTunes store. Documents from a subprime mortgage. A ticket stub to see Iron Man and the Dark Knight. A That'd program. Be 2006. 2000, uh, oh, wait. No, it took us up to see Iron Man and the Dark Knight. They didn't come out in the same year. Yes, they did. 2008? I was going to say 2008. 2008. 2008. Yeah. They came out in the same year. 
Oh, you know, crazy, yeah. right? Iron Man came out in 2008. Yeah, I didn't think Dark Knight did, but I think I think it did. So we didn't talk about what the prize is. Uh, I'm going to print you a certificate and I will post it on all social medias that you were the champion of name that time. Like a, you remember no prizes from Marvel? No, I don't. You guys don't remember. Oh, OK. So uh, Stan Lee challenged anybody who could find a continuity error in Marvel uh, to write in. And if they did, he would give them a no prize. And it was exactly it was a no prize. Like they got no prize. But mm-hmm. in the letters column, he'd be like, you get a no prize. And then eventually it got to be such a thing that he would uh, print out certificates and be like, you have an official no prize. So if you guys uh, Google no prizes, you'll find. So you, you can continue the oh, tradition. I think I've heard about this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we yeah, play yeah. for we play for pride, not prize. <laughs> or no pride. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm just glad that I'm just glad that it worked out. I think it's a fun game. And you know what? One of these days, uh, I've already pitched this to Sean that we will um, we will invite a lot of guests back to play like a big like round of like <laughs> games like this, nice. and uh, you'll get you'll get like a very a very high seed having won. <laughs> this like you know, we'll we'll put you at the top of the list. Um, <laughs> but thank you for playing along with us, Alan. We appreciate that. Um, before we let you go. Uh, did either of you think about what you would uh, put in that time capsule for 2022? Yeah, I did think about it. I thought it would be a flash drive with TikTok videos in it, just so they can okay. see how our, the beginning of the collapses of our society. <laughs> <laughs> a flash drive? What's a flash drive? <laughs> right, that's true. Well, you'd have to you'd have to have a way to store it. I mean, you couldn't just like put links. You know, those may not exist. <laughs> right. Yeah, but then people are going to see a flash drive. Be like, what do I do with a flash drive? That's true. <laughs> this is so retro. I know a guy. Yeah, I, know <laughs> I know a guy. guy. Yeah. I'm going to um, go to a Radio Shack and see if I can get an adapter for this. <laughs> radio yeah. Shack. What's a Radio Shack? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's got to be like a smartphone that, that I mean, because that pretty much encompasses how our society operates now. It's just everything is in one device that can... You know, your life is centered around and everything. But I, I feel like that's such a easy answer because you could be saying that for like the last five years and probably for the next 10 or 15. So true. 2022 is pretty. I It's early in the year. You can predict something too, Sean. Eh, I don't want to predict something, but what I might do is I might step back and say 2021. And I'm going to say um, like movie theater, not ne- not like programs necessarily but maybe like posters or something like that because this is like the first year that we've had movies since you know the pandemic you know i mean i know the couple came out there and everything but this has been kind of a a crazy blockbuster year for uh movies so i think just you know having some posters or something that kind of gives you a sense of like what movies came out and kind of some like factoids on the back of them i i would choose um my face mask and vaccine card because oh. <laughs> it seems That's timely, but yeah. I would put like I would put like a Spider Man face mask in there because <laughs> right. he's he's pretty big right now. Maybe <laughs> maybe a copy of of Alan's book so that future generations can. That's so can funny because that was my real answer. Like if it was going to happen, I was like, yeah, I'll definitely put my book in there. But I was put like, your book in there, yeah, answer. yeah, <laughs> well, and, and a Betty White face mask. There you go. <laughs> One for all the Golden Girls. Uh, Alan, thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you for hanging out with us, talking with us, and playing a game. Uh, Before we let you go, can you tell all of our listeners where they can find you and your work online? Yes. Thank you for asking that question. So 
My name is Alan, A-L-A-N. People always want to throw extra L's and E's, but it's A-L-A-N. Four letters more better. So I am R. Alan Wrights with the W everywhere. So it's rallenwrights.com for my website. R. Alan Wrights. Uh, I just started Patreon. So there's R. Alan Wrights there. Um, R. Alan Wrights on Instagram. And uh, on Twitter, there's some underscores. It's like R underscore Alan underscore but I'm whack at Twitter. So, you know, follow me <laughs> at Joan Peril. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Uh, and thank you once again. That's going to wrap up another episode of The Caption Life. We hope you enjoyed listening. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button on whatever major podcast platform you listen to us on. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Caption Life. And if you like what we're doing, give us a shout out. Tag us in your posts. For more about us and all of our previous episodes, please visit thecaptionlife.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Peace out.